it seems as if a lot of the race conversation really started to bubble up to the surface when Trayvon Martin was mm-hmm. killed. And then when Mike Brown was murdered mm-hmm. in Ferguson, it mm-hmm. really became, I think, a, a bigger deal. But I still don't think it was as divisive mm-hmm. or uh, vitriolic as it is now. Right. The race conversation has a lot to do with history and identity. Mm-hmm. You know, so it isn't like we're talking about these super abstract uh ideas right. like you know you like almond milk you like soy and i'm, I'm being like petty right. but it's like we're dealing to talk about race is to talk about ourselves mm. and the history of our particular people yeah on yeah. either side so yeah. either i come from a lineage of people who are owned or i come from a lineage of people that were owners Hey Saints, welcome to Let's Talk, a podcast from the Gospel Coalition Podcast Network where we seek to apply biblical wisdom to everyday life. My name is Jackie Hill Perry and I am here with Jasmine Holmes and Melissa Kruger. We are now halfway through season three. Yay! Insert applause (laughs) and confetti. We hope you've enjoyed listening into our conversation so far. If there's one that's been uh, particularly helpful to you, we'd love for you to find us on TGC's social media pages and let us know. Uh, today we're gonna be talking about the fun things like race, woohoo, <laughs> yay, and how to have godly conversations about it. Jasmine, that's me. I'm up. You okay, to, you get to lead. Let's go. Um, <laughs> a funny story first. Hmm. My son Wynn, um, who is just the light of my life. When I walk out of my bedroom and I'm like dressed up, he's like, "You look." amazing that's amazing i put on a dress the other day and he went you look like a woman oh <laughs> i was like okay so i was on a podcast uh, my husband has a podcast <laughs> called make it plain i was on his podcast mm-hmm. and we were talking about womanhood black womanhood mm. and um we were talking and i said you know um, my son heard me on the podcast and he heard me say as a black woman and so we really don't we don't talk about like as a black woman, white people, blah, blah, blah. we don't do that in front of Wynn because mm-hmm. we really want him to just like develop his own opinions and develop his own, you know. And so that was the first time that I think he'd heard me call myself a, a black woman. Mm-hmm. And so he looks at Philip and he goes, Dada, is mama the black woman? <laughs> and Philip was like, um, yeah. And so he comes into the bedroom and he's like, mama, are you the black woman? And I was like, yeah, I, I am the black woman. And he hugs me and he was like, I knew you were the black woman. And he was like, I love it so much. <laughs> so now when he's like, I was asking about his teacher the other day and he was like, yeah, you know, it's just describing her. She has black hair. She's, and he was like, is she the black woman too? And I was like, she is the black woman. Sounds like superheroes. As well. Like, and he's very into superheroes. And he was like, am I the black I, boy? And I, I was I, like, you I'm you like, are. I know it. <laughs> I'm like, it, does he have a particular connotation with I think the he black does. woman? He thinks it's like the, like he thinks it comes with that yeah, cape, like, like the black woman. And I'm just like, you keep your all the black woman, okay. sir. You do, you do that. But he's just very like the black woman. Wow. And so that was the first time that he was like, am I the black boy? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, that is so cool. I was like, yeah, I mean, it is. I think it's cool too. It's, it's the great. the in front of it for me. <laughs> oh, I was like, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's always the, it's always the, for you it. the black woman. Yes, I am. So today we're going to be talking about being the black woman, uh, being all kinds of women and Mm -hmm. having discussions about race and just getting into all the all the heavy stuff that's going on right now. But I guess my first conversation 
before we start digging a hole for ourselves, um, <laughs> is what makes this such a minefield of a conversation mm-hmm. right now? Because I, I feel like it's been a difficult conversation always, mm-hmm. but is it just me or has it gotten more difficult? Absolutely. Recently? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. why is that? <sighs> <laughs> I think, I think there are a couple of reasons. One, I know, I know for someone like me, obviously I'm a white woman. Um, the, 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 I guess white I'm woman. the white woman. The white woman. <laughs> yes. Gosh, I feel a little, I don't know what that means. <laughs> hey, if you're the representation of, of white women. <laughs> that is place. terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's terrifying. Um, I've seen so many hurtful things said on social media mm-hmm. um, that I can both be fearful to say anything because I'm scared my words might hurt someone unintentionally. Because some of it that I see, that I'm like, that sounds really hurtful. Mm-hmm. I don't think they meant to. But I'm like, when you say it like that, you don't know what you're really saying. Right. And then I think there's also, though, I fear my silence is saying something sometimes. If I don't say anything, do people think I don't care? Right. Um, but it's this, you know, I think, I think there's a um, situation where I know increasingly how much I don't know. And so, therefore, it can be hard to have a conversation for me, other than where I feel like I want to just ask questions mm-hmm. and I want to learn more. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I see happening on social media disturbs me so much because it's so polarizing. Mm-hmm. I want conversations to bring people together. And it seems like people are just shouting at each other. So it makes me sometimes like, I don't even, that's not a conversation. It feels like people are yelling and I don't even know some of the terms. And so I'm sitting there trying to learn and trying to listen but it doesn't seem like we're trying to get anywhere in these conversations sometimes. Right. And so that's what, it, I, I don't know, it just makes it really hard. Yeah, it seems more about winning than understanding mm-hmm. yeah. each other. Like, I, there's so many canned responses to things um, to where you're not just talking about different experiences and different um, understandings and learning each other and getting to know each other and confessing ignorance yeah right or going to somebody with more knowledge or going to somebody and confessing you you know it's no longer that relational thing it's all about it's like it's a debate tournament yeah at all times so that everything that you say is being put through this lens yeah uh, a bigger deal but i still don't think it was as divisive Mm -hmm. or uh, vitriolic as it is now right but i think the trump era Mm -hmm. i don't even really know I can't even, we need a, a sociology professor or something here, or ethics. I don't know. We, it just seems like the Trump era is when they got like rough, yeah. especially in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I the just, lines got drawn. Yeah. It became real tribal. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if it's because the race conversation has a lot to do with history and identity, mm-hmm. you know? So it isn't like we're talking about these super abstract, uh, ideas like you know you like almond milk you like soy and i'm I'm being like petty but it's like we're dealing to talk about race is to talk about ourselves Mm. and the history of our particular people yeah on either side so either i come from a lineage of people who are owned 
or I come from a lineage of people that were owners. Mm -hmm. And so there's both. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that makes it much more of a personal Mm -hmm. conversation as well as a political or Mm -hmm. so they say. It does. And it's in our, we talked about shame in our last episode. Um, and a lot of shame comes up in this conversation and we don't know what to do with Mm. it. So it's just kind of like, I think, so when I talk to, um, perfect example, I grew up in a predominantly white evangelical church. When I talk about my experience growing up there, I have friends who are upset because they're like, well, why didn't you say anything to me? Or Hmm. how, like that's not the way that I thought things were, or that's not how I thought thing. That's not how I thought things appeared, or that's not how I, you know, and they're not taking into account that, you know, at the time I was 16, 17, 18 mm-hmm. and navigating so much stuff and mm-hmm. trying to figure out how I felt and trying to find categories for how I felt yeah. and trying to find. And so they feel, I think truly they feel shame and mm-hmm. that shame has caused rifts in some of my old relationships where some people I'm still able to be friends with and, you know, we talk and we love each other and it's great. And some people are just like, you changed. Mm. I don't know who you are now because huh. you were, you were conciliatory before mm-hmm. and now you're speaking up and we don't know what and to do with that. And that's because you're sharing what your experience right. was. Right. And, and so that's actually, I, I mean, to me, it sounds like it's almost saying like, I don't want to know you. Yeah. I don't want to know that part of you it's like i want you to be in this box you were a safe black person and now you're not a safe black person anymore and your not safeness makes me feel bad like i think there's this this reassurance often when i'm talking about race and justice that i get from white brothers and sisters in crisis that they want me to tell them that they're not that they're okay Mm. that they're not okay but i'm not racist like i i'm not racist like i'm not i'm not it's just it's it's i don't know how else to describe it except for it's shame it is a shame response of Please don't make me feel bad hmm. about who I am or even who my ancestors were because I didn't know what to do with those feelings. Hmm. Wow. And so I'm going to react very badly huh. because I don't have a healthy way to process what you're saying right that's now. That's a great way to describe it. I mean, that's rather than just being able to say, oh, tell me what I missed. Right. Yeah, you know, because I felt that with one of our closest families growing up was a black family in the neighborhood. I mean, we did everything with them. She was my soccer coach. She was the first. I mean, she's like one of the neighborhood moms. You know how neighborhoods have moms. Like every mm-hmm. time I make snow cream for my family, I'm like, oh, this is what Miss Scott used to do for us in the neighborhood. But it's only been since I've been older. What's snow cream. You haven't had snow cream? I'm from Texas. It's like shaved ice. Well, no, you take the snow. Oh, oh, legit snow. Yeah, legit snow. So you take the snow when it snows. This was always like the big neighborhood deal. We went to the Scott's house. And she'd take the snow and you add like condensed, sweetened condensed milk. And what else goes in there? Oh, vanilla. And then you just mix it around and it makes this yummy concoction okay. called snow cream. But that's cheap. Yeah. Yeah. It was yummy. It was like in a bowl. Snow cream. Yeah. She, well, she would just put it. Yeah. You put out a clean you bowl. No, you grew, did you? Did you grow up with snow though? No. Yeah, but we didn't eat it. Yeah, no shame. <laughs> I feel a little bit we ashamed. Of we, no, we had shaved ice, so that's. No, what I, I don't was think like, you should feel shame because I want to eat it. Yeah. Well, okay. Next time it was it probably says, clean snow. Yeah, it was snow. I, I want it. Maybe it was you know what's that acid rain? We were always a little concerned, but yeah, she would just you set out the bowl the night before so it gets all nice and cold. Oh. 
you know, it only snows a few times in North Carolina, so you got to get really excited. Oh, they put it in a bowl. Yes, in a okay, bowl outside. Because I'm thinking of y'all going in the oh, front so you don't yard, just go the front scooping like the snow it. off the grass. There are animals out there. No, no, no I was no. thinking like, oh, man, okay. they are some risk takers. <laughs> I thought they were like looking to make sure it was clean snow she and then like the, digging it. the bowl out I and there was snow in the bowl. Okay. See, I thought you were going and foraging for snow and I was still going to eat it. <laughs> We'll put the recipe for snow cream up. Oh, I'm, <laughs> so so I'm so sorry I interrupted but, um, you. I was just like, I need well, to no, know. But I realized later growing up, I, I never thought, what was that experience like for my friend? Hmm. You know, so I just realized, oh, I, here's the thing. As a white woman growing up, I was never made to feel small because of what my color of my skin was. Like I was never called something. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't actually know what I don't know. Hmm. And so it was easy to think, well, all that's gone now. You know, like, I mean, nobody does that stuff because I never heard it in my home. I, you know, I didn't. I mean, and so I want to hear what's the experience of my friends, you know, just to say, oh, I'm sorry mm -hmm. that people treated you this way or said this to you. But just because I didn't experience it doesn't mean it's not real. What right. other people experience. And also, just because you're not directly responsible... Yes. ...doesn't mean that you can't be empathetic. Yes. But I think it's hard to move from... I think I think people move immediately from, I didn't know this, to you're accusing me of something and I don't like it. Yes. Rather than just listening to your story. Right. And right. saying, tell me what that was like. Right. Yeah. And it just... Fe it's so... It goes so much into so many other, other things that we're talking, in this season, talking about this season. Because truly it is. It's this shame-filled response it's a legalistic response like okay the letter of the law says that you're not being racist unless you use the n-word that's the letter of the law mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so if i had an assumption that was hurtful i'm not gonna apologize for that because that doesn't that doesn't violate the letter of the law even though maybe it violates the spirit of the law you know what i'm oh, saying and so yeah. it's just it's very like it's just fraught with so much tension because it's people dealing with what's going on inside of them i think what makes it even harder is that one these shared these experiences aren't isolated mm -hmm. it, like your experience is not just jasmine's experience mm -mm. it's it's a lot of people's mm -hmm. experiences but you also now have kind of this demonization of sharing your experience as if it's it's a critical race theorist thing to do right right and right. so now to even share it is immediately discounted right <laughs> and not heard and not listened to because now it's like a we're being marxist by what's doing a, so what's a, what's a critical race theorist you tell us because the thing about <laughs> critical race theory since, since we're here now since we're here uh, i i uh i was like you know what people keep talking about this thing let me read about it because i've been on the critical race theory list and i said i don't i don't i ain't never oh, went to I'm, no I class i'm always on that list yeah. i remember i text jasmine i said why they keep saying was there like a meeting that happened at 6 p.m. somewhere in some <laughs> secret hallway that I was invited to. I was like, I, I wasn't there. I didn't know. I had no idea. <laughs> but we both were there, apparently. We're, we're apparently we on were the there. Team. You're yeah. behind the whole thing. I know. We were so. there. We were pulling us Derek Bell and all those people. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? I've been in school. I recognize the beauty and the necessity of reading primary sources. Absolutely. Okay? Absolutely. And so I was like, let me go read what the people who created critical race theory actually say hmm. about critical race theory. And mm -hmm. you know what I realized? One, a lot of people don't know what it is. Yep. But two, it's actually really confusing. It's so confusing. It's, it's so <laughs> high level theory that I'm like, it's, 
for y'all yeah. to be saying that everyone is critical race theory you're, theorists you're actually making people more brilliant than they actually are huh. we ain't that smart no i'm not <laughs> to be able to like so well, what what is it you know that Jasmine i always, is smart yes because I, I feel the same way that jackie i have tried to read i mean yeah. i tried to read <laughs> like, it sounds like i can't read books look but, but like, it is like i tried to read confusing. I mean, it's a lot everything also i read really i'm like because i'm sitting there watching on twitter everybody's it, it's like the new bad word to call people. Yeah, you know, because mm-hmm. it was it. Marxist. Yes, yeah. it was. And I, so, so I'm SJW. looking it up and okay. saying, "What are they talking about?" I don't know. So tell us what. Well, it's it's interesting because um, there was a list that came out a while ago, and actually, it came from my um, my home state. I think I may be the only Texan who's like, <laughs> "That is where I'm from," and I'm sorry, because um, every other Texan is like. So you're bringing the whole way to the state. I'm just like, <laughs> y'all, I'm sorry. Then then they're so proud of it too. And it's like, but y'all. everybody in Texas who's listening, we love you. And we're glad you're here. I mean, I'm one of you. So <laughs> we y'all, gotta, y'all eat things like lubies. We you do. Know? We, we do do that. What, what a, what a, what a burger. Yeah. I, and I'm such a Texan that what a burger means food poisoning. And I still eat what a burger. <laughs> like that is, that is devotion. Yeah, Cause is. normally if you get food poisoning from a food, you're done. Yeah. That's yeah. True. I'm a still, I'm a still roll up on a water burger. Okay. Um, Loyalist. but, Texas, like like some kind of political organization in Texas released this list of words, like watch words Mm -hmm. to be looking out for in critical race theory. Mm -hmm. Um, Identity was on the list. Normative was on the list. The word normative. The word normative. The word identity. um, The word uh, colonist, colonizer. It, It was just like a bunch of words. And it was like, this is critical. And I was like, it's such a dilution of what actual critical race theory is Mm -hmm. that it's kind of like, so I was was talking to a teacher and she was like, well, they're teaching critical race theory light at my school. And I was like, what is that? Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, it's not critical race theory, but it uses some of the same phrases. And I was like, so are they also teaching rocket science light at your school? (laughs) And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, rocket scientists all start out knowing that two plus two is four. Mm -hmm. It's very important. It's foundational. Cause it's math. Mm-hmm. So like anytime you're teaching math, are you training future rocket scientists? Mm-hmm. Or are you just teaching a discipline mm. that also is connected to a way more complicated discipline mm. that they're going to run into in the future? Mm-hmm. And she was like, I never thought about it like that. I was like, yeah, I know. yeah, it's, it's, so what is it? Uh, yeah. If it's not normative and identity, if it's not just words, right? it is a legal practice right it's a legal it started Mm. out as critical race critical race um studies and a bunch of lawyers were using it in order to have a framework for the injustice that they were saying right Mm. and that's about as far as i can go yeah it seems like it's a lens yeah by which to understand how racism is not just these isolated incidents that it's connected in the world right it's also integrated into the structures of our law mm-hmm. and our government and all of those types of and things. And the reason why law comes up so much is because the group of people who originally came up with critical race theory were lawyers who were trying to figure out, okay, where's the root of this so mm-hmm. that we can figure out how to right. use our use our practice to undo this. But that's literally as far as I can as far as I can tell you. So why has it become such a a curse word then? I think it's easy because people don't know what it is. So 
if you don't fully understand it, it's like you you guys remember um when secular humanism was like all the rage. I don't actually, but tell me. Oh my gosh, do you remember? <laughs> I remember that I'm like word. A child of, I'm, I'm a child of the '90s. I'm a child of the '90s, and I was like a Christian in the '90s. <laughs> so like secular it, humanism it was like the bad thing. Yeah, that was the thing that we were all like really supposed to be looking out for. Okay. Was secular humanism. Yeah, and if you said what is secular humanism, people would be like, it's secular and hmm. it's humanist. And you have to be careful about it because it is both humanist and secular. And so like teenage Jasmine was like, I got to be careful Mm. because secular humanists are. And then it was like postmodernism. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, what's postmodernism? Well, it's just not being traditional. It's like non-traditional. Okay. And then there was a little stint. There was a little season in there where like, it was like evolution was going to take down. Yeah. The Christian, like, we needed to know how to argue with an evolutionist. It was very important. Yes. It was yeah. like, you, you, seven days of creation, get into it. Because they're coming after you. They're coming after you next. So, like, it's always, I just Something. feel like critical race theory is our new villain now. And it's an mm-hmm. easy one because it's so hard to understand. Mm-hmm. And there's so many, like, it's one of those things where you understand some phrases from it. And so then you're like, oh, is that critical race theory? Hmm. Do you want to be careful? Because one of the arguments that people have made is like, well, nobody knows what critical, critical race theory is. So why are we talking about mm-hmm. it? That's not true. People do know what critical race theory is. And they're very devoted to critical race theory. And it is an entire system of thought and practice that truly does exist. So mm-hmm. we're not like, this is all a conspiracy. There's no such thing. Right. I think what we are saying is that laymen are using terms that they don't fully understand in order to accuse the brethren instead of stopping to try to understand Mm. what is actually being said and what is actually being communicated. It's making us bad listeners. Right. It's become kind of a dog whistle instead of something that it really does. Like Marxism is a real thing. Mm -hmm. But when people were calling me Marxist two years ago, it was like, why for why? Mm -hmm. Marx, Karl Marx huh. was like super racist, actually. Mm-hmm. So because <laughs> you you went to Frankfurt, Germany, it's because I went. you visited there. <laughs> so clearly, you're the Marxist. Frank that Frankfurt school. Yeah. Um, and so I think like part of the reason why it's such a divisive topic is because it is so hard to understand for so many laymen, and if you don't understand it, and it's just become a collection of buzzwords and phrases, mm-hmm. you see those buzzwords and phrases everywhere Mm -hmm. you even see them in i had somebody in my inbox the other day because i um i love to study history and i like to what my my thing that i like to do is to go back to when marxism marx was just like five years old and hadn't even come up with marxism and we were over here in america and people like david walker and um you know W.E.B. Du Bois later and Rye Stewart were already talking about race and justice in terminology Mm. that people would call critical race theory Mm -hmm. today and be like, this completely predates the whole notion of critical race theory. It completely predates Marxism. Like we, Mm. we've been using this terminology and we've been using this and founding it in biblical principles for a really long time over here in America. Um, And somebody was like, yeah, but W.E.B. Du Bois was a critical race theorist. And I was like, how? That's anachronistic. That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, because he says the same things that critical race theorists say. So I guess I'm a Muslim now because I also believe in one God. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's just like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you're, what you're arguing is it is actually possible to talk about race and racism how it exists and how it has affected our country 
without actually being a critical race theorist right. by doing so. Yes, and without buying into the complete framework either yeah. because critical race theory, okay, it's not a gospel framework. Right. We're not going to get to Jesus from there. Right. It's like evolution. Right. You can believe in microevolution, which we actually see happening, mm -hmm. meaning like the moths. I don't know if you remember in school when they talk about the moths and then all the dark ones survived because of all the suit, mm -hmm. you know, that was covering what at London city yes, or whatever. Yes. Like we can see certain species do die out because of survival of the fittest within you know, micro evolution without then saying, I believe in macro evolution. Right. Yeah. I mean, so there are parts that we can say, well, Hey, we actually see this natural selection yeah. happening yep. out in the world today. But, you know, so we can say what is true in this and then what's, what's not, right. you know, so I can say, no, this macro evolution that we just big bang mm -hmm. happened and we just came. No, I'm not going to agree with that at all. Right. And so I think that's an important kind of way to understand anything Yeah. that even, even something that you know, I'm not communist, but I can look at certain things and say, hey, the early church, you know, they sold what they had and they gave to one another. Well, Melissa, you're being really radical. I know. Sorry. <laughs> but they weren't communists. Do you know what I'm saying? But they right. had principles mm -hmm. that they were saying, hey, we should they were share communal. what we, mm -hmm. Yeah. We should share what we have with each other. But we don't look back at them and say they were really communist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Excellent example. Start you, calling you know, each other comrade. I mean, yeah. We just look back and say, and, and this is what I think there is... Um, common grace in a lot of even bad theories. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not, you know, whatever, like there's some common great, like there's something that people are seeing that I, sometimes, you know, it is good to give what you have and right. share with others, right. mm -hmm. but that doesn't make you a communist. Well, the world, I guess is, the the world is broken. It's groaning yeah. for Christ's return. Yeah. And Christians aren't the only ones who hear the groaning. Mm. Yes. And other people are trying to come up with Yes. Where is these, where is groaning coming from and what can we do about it? Yes. And so sometimes they ask really good questions. Like they're like, Hey, do you hear that? Yeah. And if you say yes, that doesn't mean that we're on the same page about the solution to, do you hear that? It's yeah. Like many of the founding fathers were deist, but they still applied some Christian principles mm -hmm. to things they wrote. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, so people do that. I have a question for y'all. As as teachers, I think one thing we are seeing is that critical race theory is, is kind of being used as a... Um, I don't want to use the word excuse because I could feel dismissive. Mm, yeah. But it, it's being used to limit the kind of history we teach in schools, yes. you know, whether that's Harriet Tubman, whether that's uh, just all the things, mm -hmm. right? How do you feel about that as teach? Cause I've seen on Twitter in particular where teachers are, and I think I saw it on your page mm -hmm. where teachers are becoming fearful that how, what can I teach without being like reprimanded? Right. When I talk mm -hmm. about the civil war, right. When I talk about, you know, the West Atlantic slave trade, mm -hmm. will they accuse me of being a critical race theorist by doing so? Like, how do y'all? Mm -hmm. I would be that? lying if I said that that didn't have something to do with why I stepped away from teaching. Hmm. That, that would be a lie. Yeah. Because um, I was just like, this climate is getting hostile. Hmm. I'm already the only black teacher on campus. Hmm. I already have parents who are complaining about my Instagram. I, you know, I just like. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta go. Cause it's just, it's, it's really hard. hard. <laughs> yes. You I'm like, yes. you know what? Two plus two is four. And if they start changing and messing with that, we got real problems. By math, you mean rocket science light. <laughs> yeah. Rocket science light. That's nice. what I'm So what, nice. sh what should teachers do then? Cause there yeah. are real teachers that, that they have yeah. to stay. Yeah. I, I think we have to teach without fear. I mean, th there's, here's the thing. If you just teach history, 
it will teach. Hmm. You know, so I think what I'm realizing now when I look back even to American history, um, there were a lot of things we weren't taught. Mm-hmm. You know, so just by teaching what truly happened, whether it's, it's with how we, um, I mean, we were just out in Phoenix and we were in all the Native American land, you know, and we're talking to our kids about the Trail of Tears and what happened. And, you know, and just if we just teach history mm-hmm. with, and, and to me, this is a biblical truth. We, this country was founded by fallible men and women yeah everybody in it so we should expect that it's not going to be perfect yeah because we're waiting for a better country and the reality is and please don't hate me for this the better country's not america it's heaven (laughs) yeah but if we've connected our entire identity yes to our country yeah and to nationalism if we have given into that idolatry yeah then if somebody critiques our god then we're going to be yeah, and I think that's what we have to look it. at. We yeah, have to, we should be able to say, yeah. I I think um, I'm thankful I live in America, but it's not home. Right, it's not home. I'm a citizen of another country. That's what the Bible tells me. Mm-hmm. It's my citizenship is in heaven, mm-hmm. and when I actually live there, then I can say, let's look at the problems. Let's look. Mm-hmm. Let's look at what wasn't perfect because right. I'm waiting for a better country. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to prove to you that this is best. But I think we would all say we're so thankful for, for getting to live here. And, you know, some of the freedoms that we enjoy that other places we're watching around the world don't enjoy. Like right. I'm not, but still be able to say we have past things that need to be taught mm-hmm. so they're not repeated. I mean, that's the whole history of the Holocaust. We always say what we don't teach, we will repeat. Mm-hmm. And so to me, we have to teach the wrongs that were committed and not be afraid of them, you know, and just be honest mm-hmm. and say, Hey, this, yeah, this isn't good. It mm-hmm. wasn't yeah. good to buy and sell people. No people are created in the image of God. Yeah. I mean, right. If I'm a slave, I let, you know, What's Paul say? He's a bond slave to Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that, that's who we're the servant of. And so we should be able to look back and say, yeah, there were wrongs. Let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And some of that is accepting consequences of what happens when you do teach. Because hmm. there's certain things they're like, they don't want yes. us teaching at all. Yeah. They don't want us to talk about it. I think Trail of Tears is one of them. Um huh. There's like a list of things. And also there's like this litmus test of like, if it makes the white students feel bad, like if it makes them feel bad for being white, which like is very subjective, mm-hmm. um, then also don't teach that. Um, I remember when I was in college, one of my professors, um, I went to his office for an ex- to talk about the exam and I saw the autobiography of Malcolm X on his shelf. And um, he was this white Catholic, you know, Houstonian with Malcolm X on the shelf. And I was like, yo, like, let's talk about this. And he said, I used to have my freshman read it. Um, but we had to stop reading it because and it's a small private Christian college. Like, I think mm. it, I think it has like, I want to say like less than 5,000 people are on mm-hmm. campus in this college. Um, and we had to stop reading it because it was making the white students feel bad. Hmm. 
Um, and we had parents of college students calling the school and be like, it's making them feel bad because Malcolm X calls white people devils, you know, in the beginning of the, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, he does, there's a a metamorphosis of Malcolm X, you know, at the beginning of the book, you're like, well, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) And then at the end of the book, you're like, you know, there's so much, it's one of my favorite books. It's just like a girl, you see the growth, right? Mm -hmm. Um, anyway. I was talking to him and he was like, it just made them feel bad. So I don't really know what to do about that. And I was like, that is so interesting. Cause I don't think anybody ever thought about me when we were reading Huck Finn. Well, like nobody was like, poor Jasmine, this must be so awkward. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. we should take this. Case. Especially if you got to read it out loud in groups. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And nobody, it just wasn't even, it wasn't even a, a thought. Mm-hmm. Like it was like, Obviously, this is a classic. Yes, there's some things in it that are that we don't agree with anymore, but we're gonna we're gonna press through mm. because this is Mark Twain. Mm. Mm. Um, and he was like, "I never thought I've never thought about it like that. Like I've never thought about the opposite side of of things that that make other people uncomfortable." Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just, why we need to have conversations. Yes, I yes. mean, like to me, that's what's desperately needed because how can I? I, how can I know what I don't know? And right. so, like, that's a classic situation of if you don't have the conversation, then you'll never, you'll, you'll just never get to hear, oh, yeah. I hadn't thought about like, that oh, perspective. Wow, okay. I think we, this is again, our desire to be God. We think we know everything because yeah. we have lived a life. Mm-hmm. And I think the older I get, the real, the more I realize I am one little bitty person yeah. in this earth with one experience. Cause I even think about this when studying scripture and you know, you realize I don't know anything about first century Jerusalem. I mean, you know, like I'm having to learn what would their perspective yes, be as they different cultural. Lens. Yeah. As yes. they read the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, what would, what, how would, you know, how would an Israelite read the books of Moses? Mm. You know, yeah, I'm always trying to put that lens on. And I think that's just trying to love our neighbor, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to listen well. So let me ask this question. Are there particular things in discussion about race that can be really painful? Like, like if people want to have these conversations, how, how can, how can we do it? Well, um, you know, and, or maybe what in the past has not been done well that you've seen that, you know, people can learn from, like, don't say this. <laughs> I don't know if there's any, you know, like, Hey, when you, or when you say this, what you need to know is it, it comes off like this. Does that make sense? I think before the conversation starts, it's about your disposition, mm-hmm. you know, like, and why am I entering into the conversation? Do yeah. I, do I even want to listen yeah. or, or is this a performance? Yeah. Right. Um, do I, do I want to be challenged? Am Mm -hmm. I, am I strong enough to hear hard things? Am I able to even discern the things that is the things that are being said that has nothing to do with me, but I'm applying it to me, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of this, this self centered, uh, I think view Mm -hmm. of the conversation. I think all it's, it's really how you engage with any conversation, right? Yeah. With your mother, with your child, with your husband, with your friend, Mm -hmm. it's let me enter into it with humility Mm -hmm. 
in the spirit of let me hope the best. Let me put on compassion. Let me walk in kindness and love. Let me be forbearing, meaning let me listen to what the person has to say. Let me be patient in Mm -hmm. this situation. Mm -hmm. Like, I think just walking in the spirit as we engage, honestly, would do a whole lot. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure Jasmine has more. But yeah, I I agree with you. (laughs) And there's so much, there, there is so much double talk in this conversation where um, one of the leading uh, criticizers of critical race theory is an atheist that Christians are quoting all the time because he agrees with them. So they, so they quote him. It's okay to quote the atheist on critical race theory, but it's not okay to say anything that sounds like critical. So the double mindedness is something that I really, really stress that we try to, weed out because our political identity has become so married with our personal identity in this climate to where you can't have a conversation with somebody without being shuffled into a box Mm. of, you know, who did you vote for? What do you think about critical race theory? What do you think about, um, what do you think about the virus? What do you think about, you know what I'm saying? Everything Mm -hmm. is just, everything is so (laughs) polarized. And so I think, yes, walking by the spirit and yes, rooting out that that tendency that we have to go tribal and to just the we as christians especially in this political climate i think that we've gotten way too far into this the enemy of my enemy is my friend Mm. Mm. and so it's like well yeah that political commentator is not acting christ-like but they're saying what i agree with so rah rah i'm just gonna give them a pass Mm -hmm. or like yeah that critique was not honest Mm. Um, but I didn't like who they were critiquing. So mm-hmm. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let it go. Yeah. Um, having an allegiance to Christ alone in these conversations is so important and having relationship with the people that you're engaging with. Um, I, you know, I'm on social media and so <laughs> at least once a week, a white person asked me a question and I'm like, that would be a really good question to ask a black person in your community. Mm-hmm. Um, you should care what they think more than you care. Hmm. what I think. And when you approach them, if you've never approached them about anything else, ask yourself why, hmm. like hmm. why, why now? Why, why, when they have utility for you, do you now want to talk about the experiences mm-hmm. of their life? Why now when, when everything is so polarized and you're wanting a cheat sheet, now that person mm-hmm. is valuable to you. You know, I, I think, I think walking in genuine relationship with people is really important and multiple people because i I know one thing that can happen is like well my black friend said blah 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 blah. because you got one yeah you can always find the one that agrees with you (laughs) you it and what's actually i'll say one thing that's been really helpful for me is reading because sometimes like you know it's not your job to help me know everything you know like to teach me everything if that makes sense like i we can't expect some work. Yeah. We can't Mm -hmm. expect that. And so, um, one thing I really recommend the warmth of other sons, like it was a whole, when we're talking about education, I didn't know about the great migration. Mm. I'd never heard of that. You know, I had actually did learn about the trail of tears, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I never learned about that, you know? And so just, it was so helpful. And I love how she, she weaves together stories, like where different people go. It sat on my desk for like two years because it was so thick. And I was like, this is going to be work, but beautiful book, Mm -hmm. but it's so well-written. So I highly, yeah, I highly recommend it, but I also recommend fiction. If you're not a historian like Jasmine, um, I really, 
I found some fiction works that are kind of based on history. I don't know. Have y'all read the Underground Railroad? I have it in my phone. Okay, it's it's good. Yeah. It's good. And um, the, I just last week was reading, and this just popped up. It was um, oh, what was it called? The Personal Librarian. Hmm. Have you read this? No, it's on my wish list. It's on my Audible wish list. Oh, I should have brought it. I just put it on my Audible wish list. Like, I just last finished week. it. I have it at home. I should have brought it for you. That was the look on my face that you saw. I was like, Ugh. <sighs> yeah. But it's it's about the um, the personal librarian of J.P. Morgan, mm-hmm. kind of at the turn of the century, and she was um, a black woman who could pass as white. Mm-hmm. And so the reason she she could work for him is she her mother chose to move to New York and have the whole family pass mm-hmm. as white. And so it's it helps you. I find fiction can help you walk. You can never experience what another person experiences, but you can at least walk in their shoes a little bit through yeah. a fictional character. And you're like, oh, it just gives you a little more understanding. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. That's been something that's been really helpful for me. I don't know if there are any good books. That no, you- I would add, though, don't be afraid to also have a diversity of resources, mm-hmm. you know? Um, one time I was having a conversation with a guy at a church and we were talking about sexuality and mm-hmm. um, he was just struggling with uh, just the conservative sexual ethic of potentially not ever having an attraction for a woman and what mm-hmm. that meant and mm-hmm. him having to be celibate. And is Romans 1, 26 through 27 actually condemning same-sex mm-hmm. behavior and all the things? And I was like, I would actually challenge you to read both sides, hmm. to read those who have a progressive sexual ethic and those who have a conservative sexual ethic and wrestle with it mm-hmm. because you're going to have to wrestle with it at some point. So educate yourself and learn how to gain the wisdom and the discernment and do it in a community, do it with some wise voices mm-hmm. around you right, that can yeah. point you in the right, right. direction. Yeah. But I think just, we will lean toward the resources that affirm our biases Mm -hmm. and so i think it really is helpful to listen to the people who you believe you oppose yeah so that you're just much more educated in your framework that's Mm -hmm. a great point yeah um, cast by Isabel wilkerson is also another one i haven't read that one yet it's very worth reading it's it's um it's weakness if you want to call it that is that the warmth of other suns does a better job of she just tells the story Mm-hmm. And she leads you right up to the conclusion, and then she's like, "And that's the story." Yeah. So, <laughs> and cast is a lot more pointed, yeah. and so there's more to disagree with in yeah. cast. But um, I also really enjoyed, or I learned from. Let me say it that way. Um, Just Mercy is one of the hardest mm-hmm. books to read because what what it really confronted me with was even even when you read The Warmth of Other Suns, that feels like a long time ago. Yes. Um, just mercy feels like, oh, that was my childhood. Mm-hmm. And so reading about our justice system, um, from the perspective of lawyer, he, you know, he went down and overturned a bunch of cases yeah, that were Stevenson, right? mm-hmm. Brian Stevenson. Mm-hmm. Did I say the wrong name? Sorry. Brian mm-hmm. Stevenson. Um, it's, I haven't, I haven't actually, have I seen the movie? I can't remember. The book was, I know I love the book, mm-hmm. so I highly recommend the book as just, a place to start. I also highly recommend Jasmine's new book, um, Carved in Ebony, as just what, what I actually loved about it was learning from these women and just knowing they were there. Um, because we've talked about it, a lot of women in general, mm-hmm. not black women, white women, we're just lost to history. Mm-hmm. And so you did the hard work of finding them. And it's so great to just read, oh, they were there. 
they were there. Jesus was saving them. Mm. They were doing work. We just don't know about it, mm-hmm. but they were there. Yeah. And you've given women and black women and young girls, you know, of all races, women to follow after. And so highly recommend it. What's the goal? Hmm. What's the point? You know, cause I, I think people could be so distracted by yeah. all of the like craziness that we've forgotten what the point is, mm-hmm. you know? And so why should I read these resources? Why should I try to have a conversation? Why is it wrong to um, limit the amount of history that we teach about our country, our nation, its systems, its laws? Like, what are we at? What are we at? What are we risking mm-hmm. by not engaging in this discussion in a godly, healthy way? I, I don't know how to phrase that yeah. prettier. But I guess I just want to reorient us back to why does this even matter? It's the supremacy <laughs> of Christ. Because so often the way that we tell history and experience history in this country centers the supremacy of American values and centers the supremacy of our nationalism. And the more that we learn about the ugliness of our past and the way that in spite of that, God still has worked in amazing ways in this country takes America off the pedestal, takes the cape off of Uncle Sam, and <laughs> puts Christ mm-hmm. at the center where he belongs. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best ways that I found to do that is to just say, you know what? Like, I know that you're proud to be an American, mm-hmm. but there are some ugly things that really impact people to this day mm-hmm. still. Mm-hmm. Like right now, like outside of your door, like in your church. Um, because ultimately America... It's not going, it can't save you. Mm. Critical race theory, it cannot save you. Mm. Marxism, it cannot save you. Mm. It's Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's all about pointing to him and the ways in which he is active in a diverse array of lives and stories. Mm-hmm. Cause I didn't know that when I was a kid, I thought Jesus was mostly, you know, doing stuff with white people. And I was super lucky because I got to be the exception to the rule. That's really what I thought. One of the best parts about writing Carbs and Ebony was just that redemptive. Mm-hmm. And my first book, Mother to, Mother to Son, yeah. um, was just that redemptive recentering, not of the black experience, but of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we miss that when we center white American exceptionalism mm-hmm. as the norm. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and for me, it's just part of um, if I love my neighbor as myself. One way I feel loved is when people try to understand my perspective. Mm. So to me, I'm trying to do that with my brothers and sisters in Christ all the time because we're one body. Yeah, I mean, like we we are all part of one body. So I want to understand and love my neighbor as myself. So it's loving God because he created, we know, and we know what the kingdom's going to look like. It's going to mm. be every tongue, tribe, and nation mm-hmm. will be praising his name mm-hmm. together. But, you know, we all have stories and I think it's just part of knowing one another and loving one another well. And I would add, I think, um, I think it's in Jesus, his high priestly prayer. Mm. He prays that may they be one like you and I are one so mm. that they mm-hmm. may believe that you sent me. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> so that our oneness isn't apologetic, yeah. really. There are black religious cults that are being created and are thriving Mm. because of the church's response to race Mm -hmm. thriving (laughs) because 
what they see is a church that does not look like God, a a church that does not look loving, a church that does not love justice, a church that does not care for mercy at the expense of their own comfort. Um, And so I think that's what we're risking is people actually wanting the gospel or our gospel Mm -hmm. rather. Um, Even when I was reading earlier this year, the autobiography of Malcolm X, I think it was one of the chapters he was just talking about how he viewed Christianity. Yeah, it's tragic. And why the Muslim faith was so compelling. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, I was like, wow, if white supremacy wasn't so rich in uh, white Christian churches, would he have even been a Muslim? Yeah. Hmm. That was the question. I I, like, would he have wanted Jesus if he actually saw Hmm. diversity and saw love and saw dignity like yeah i don't think he would have been that's what won him over in the end was going over going to mecca and seeing how the muslim faith united people Mm -hmm. across ethnicities and Mm -hmm. cultures was so impactful to him and i he should have been having that experience over here yeah Yeah. and you have people that will say well it's because he's totally depraved he's not elect it's like y'all you have to know that our behavior our ethics the way we live is a part of our gospel presentation not just our doctrine yes right watch your life and doctrine exactly why would i believe your god if you don't seem to obey the things that you say your god legislates and so that we're risking a whole lot namely the gospel yeah if even if we go into that like intense calvinistic well he just wasn't like okay but what is the what does the bible say about teachers who lead people astray it's better to be thrown into be the talking sea about with that. a millstone tied around your yeah. neck. Mm. Yeah. Are you, and are you, are you leading people astray with, with how you are living out? Yeah. And that they're supposed to actually know we're Christians because of how we love. One right. Another. The world sees us. Yeah. They, they are yeah. watching. Yeah. They are watching and they are not impressed. Yeah. Yeah. So. And so I think may we be a church that can have these conversations and love one another well in them. Mm-hmm. The beautiful thing is, Jesus prayed to the father hmm. and God is going to answer Jesus' hmm. prayer. Yeah. And Amen. So the work that he started in us in the true church, I'm yeah. not talking about those yeah. who are culturally Christians, right. Right. but in the real Christians that are bearing fruit as is in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the work that God started in us, he will finish. Yeah. Period. Amen. Amen. Uh, what is your favorite staycation? I know sometimes I don't like staycations. I'll do them. I just don't prefer them because, again, I'm at home. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I don't know. I think I enjoyed them a lot when I lived in Chicago uh, because me and Preston's first anniversary was a staycation. Mm -hmm. And because Chicago has a lot to do. So, like, we just explored the city. We ate at different places. We took a bunch of pictures. Uh, Atlanta, it's not that Atlanta is uninteresting. It's just not as cool. Mm, so true. a staycation doesn't feel as as fun yeah. I, I just kind of didn't make that cute um yes i don't like staycations here honestly chicago yes sorry we get it jackie you're from the big city um I'm not from st louis that's bigger i think it's bigger than jackson i'm sorry because y'all don't have a uh, y'all don't have a chipotle, <laughs> chipotle. No, a chipotle or trader joe's or aldi Ooh, send jasmine food please do <laughs> Please do. She needs it. Um, <laughs> Melissa, what about your favorite staycation? Well, I read it wrong. I, I mean, or I wish, know. I'm not good at staycations because I wish I would just go to fun restaurants and 
hang out and read books. I ended up that closet. I should clean that closet. I'm terrible. Mm-hmm. I'm terrible. I start all the things that the drawers that bother me. So I need really, if I'm going to have a vacation, I have to go away. Staycation. I'm a terrible staycationer. I just start working. Like, you know, on the things that you can't get to in your normal day. Right. You're still right. in your city. You're still in your city. Yeah. yeah. So I just don't feel rested. Mm-hmm. I wish I'd have to actually go to a hotel. If I went to a hotel in my city. Well, that's mm-hmm. what I, that's what oh, I okay. thought is staycation. Oh, okay. That's oh, what I think maybe I'm doing if staycations you, Yeah, wrong. if you're at home, you're just at home. That ain't <laughs> no staycation. Yes. Okay. I would go, I would stay in Uptown Charlotte. That'd probably yeah, be fun. I've never done that. Stuff. But I would do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mine is actually in our neighborhood. It's an old house that was converted oh. to a bed and breakfast. It is a two minute drive from our what house. They cook for you. They do, mm-hmm. and it's really nice. And we love to go there. We go That's there fun. every, just about every year, um, and just you know have a night away from the kids. That's nice. And just chill mm-hmm. away from the breakfast. laundry and all. Those. Yeah, it's nice. Mm-hmm. It's nice. That's good. Yeah, it's That's a good. Fairview Inn. It's nice. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Ain't got no Chipotle, though. Nope. That's all right. Nope. It's going to be guacamole in heaven. I believe in God. Amen. It is time to talk about our sponsor for this season of Let's Talk, Crossway Books. Yay! We have a lot of books to discuss. Our book to discuss today is Demystifying Decision-Making, A Practical Guide by Amy Joseph. Melissa, tell us all about it because I want my decision-making Exactly. Demystified. Well, actually, and this book is part of the Crossway TGC partnership. So I got to work with Amy some on this. So um, I got to hear it from the beginning and talk to her about it and got to see it kind of develop. It's a great book. It's, it's helpful just on how do we make decisions. You know, we talked about this on Let's Talk in either season one or two. Like, how, yeah, we how do we decide what to do? And I find it's one of the biggest... Yeah, in the 20s and 30s, you're making so many big life decisions. Mm -hmm. But all of life, you're making decisions, you know. And so it's a book that kind of helps you sort through how do I make a decision? What does it look like to make a good decision? How do I listen to the spirit when I make a decision? How do I find good wisdom from others to make a decision? So it's really helpful on all of those things. So if you're making decisions, even if it's, you know, which yogurt to pick out of the aisle. Yeah, because there's a lot of yogurt choices. There are a lot of yogurt choices. So it's it's on how do we how do we do that? One so. of the decisions that we'll have to make is how do we buy this book? Yeah, ooh, that's good. Um, how do we find it? Well, Where? if Where? it was five years ago, you could probably walk into a bookstore. But the way you Amazon lovers set up, you you ruined <laughs> all of our abilities to walk into <laughs> your bookstores all over the country. But we we thank God for Google. And on Google, you can go to crossway.org forward slash plus. And there you can find out how to get 30% off demystifying decision making uh, because of saints. They love, love a, a deal. deal. All right, y'all. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Let's Talk. Next week, we are going to have a conversation about how to identify false teaching. 